Hi, everyone. Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to the Washington Weekly Podcast on the UBS In The Now podcast channel. Joining us once again, glad to welcome Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS U.S. Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. Shane, welcome back. Thank you for joining our listeners on this Friday morning. Looking forward to our conversation. Yeah, thanks for having me back, Dan. Absolutely. So a lot to catch up on. Perhaps we could begin by continuing our coverage of the Israel-Hamas war. A lot of developments in recent days, though I do want to point out how Secretary of State Anthony Blinken, he did the part for Israel yesterday, Thursday, in what marks his second visit since the conflict began several weeks ago. So I'm curious what's on Secretary Blinken's agenda, both during his time in Israel I understand he'll be making some other stops within the region as well. So it sounds like what will be a productive trip? Yeah, very busy schedule for uh, Secretary of State Blinken. And he embarks on his second uh, trip to Israel um, since uh, this war broke out uh, just about uh, a month ago. You know, um, this visit is, um, you know, kind of uh, got a couple of purposes to it, obviously. Uh, you know, besides showing um, the U.S.'s, you know, um, support for Israel, there is some nuance there. You know, um, in the wake of the war and civilian casualties, you know, uh, Secretary uh, Blinken is trying to advocate for some kind of pause in the airstri- airstrikes in Gaza to allow for mediation, to allow for, um, you know, essentially humanitarian pause. And, you know, I think Israel is put in a tough spot here because they do not want to pause. I mean, they are um, fully invested in their effort to destroy Hamas. Uh, in their opinion, and on the humanitarian side, they have warned um, the citizens of the northern half of Gaza for weeks now that they need to evacuate and go to the southern portion of Gaza to be safe. Um, so, you know, they feel like they have met their um, obligation to try and protect civilian life. And, uh, you know, while there are uh, many in the international community that are really pushing for a ceasefire, you know, I, I don't see one coming, you know, at best, maybe some kind of pause for humanitarian aid. But I think Israel is committed to um, their goal of, of eradicating uh, Hamas. You know, uh, additionally, as you mentioned, you know, Secretary Blinken is, is is, is going to be making the rounds if he can. You know, we saw last time he was there that meetings in Jordan and with uh, Palestinian leaders were canceled. So we'll see what happens there. You know, but he's also trying to think about and talk, have conversations about, well, what happens to Gaza, you know, after um, all this is completed, you know, after um, Israel, you know, pulls out its ground troops, you know, what happens? Um, you know, it's almost a new day one. And so, you know, I think that will require a lot of planning because, you know, in the back of uh, people's minds is, you know, well, who takes power after Hamas? Is it someone um, basically the same or is it someone even worse? You know, so this is um, a very delicate balance that I think Secretary uh, Blinken is trying to to handle uh, while he's over there. And, you know, uh, as you and I have talked about before, this is a, a conflict that's going to rage on for a while because, you know, there are sensitivities not only um, with respect to the hostages, uh, but also, you know, 
um, potential for this to flare up in other places. We see Hezbollah uh, massing on uh, uh, Israel's northern border, and Iran keep pushing Hezbollah potentially into the conflict. And, you know, uh, that would obviously be very dangerous for um, not only Israel, but the region for this um, conflict to, to expand. Yeah, well, it does sound like Secretary of State Blinken will be having a lot of critical conversations, meetings over the next few days. So certainly we'll keep our eyes on this and we can follow up and see what comes from these meetings during our next conversation. I do want to come back stateside uh, because the Biden administration is putting forth efforts to combat perception that crime is on the rise across the U.S. by offering funding to multiple states. Do we know exactly, Shane, what the grants will be aimed at? Yeah, it's a total of uh, over $330 million. Um, that is to hire police officers, improve uh, security at schools. So, you know, this comes from an existing program, of the Office of uh, um, Community-Oriented Policing Services, also known as COPS, which has actually been around, I think, since the Clinton era. Uh, and so you're going to receive, uh, there's going to be money of uh, over $200 million that's directly to hire 1,700 police officers. Um, but then there'll be a chunk of money, uh, about $73 million for um, 206 school districts and other public agencies to uh, improve security at schools and, you know, uh, other components. So, you know, you're right. The overarching theme there, though, is that uh, the Biden administration is trying to show that they're taking crime seriously as many uh, cities and localities deal with increasing uh, crime. You know, some nonviolent, but m many are seeing uh, a rise in violent crime. So I, I think you're also seeing Republicans at the same time try to put this on display that, Biden and Democrats uh, at large have been weak on crime. So, uh, you know, uh, this is for Democrats a, a positive in the sense that they are trying to show that they recognize the issue and are, you know, taking it seriously. Dem Republicans on the other side may say this is too little, too late. You know, you've already let crime get out of control. You know, I think we'll see how um, voters actually um uh, view this issue because we have some local elections uh, on Tuesday and some of this will be on display. Now some of the elections are dealing with obviously other issues, um, you know, uh, that are more uh, uh, relevant to the local community. But some of those communities are dealing with crime issues, um, you know, and I, I think like the Kentucky governor's race will be um, uh, um, a bellwether on, on the crime issue. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. Well, that's a good point. With Election Day being just a few days away, it will be interesting to see the impacts of these grants over time, what takes shape there. So thank you, Shane, for the color. I do want to stick with the Biden administration because we've also seen a bipartisan group of lawmakers calling on the administration to limit China's access to new chip technology, new chip design technology. And we've covered similar developments prior here on the podcast. So what concerns are there in this case, Shane? And do you anticipate the bipartisan calls to grow louder over time? Yeah, so I think this was about 18 uh, Republicans and Democrats sending a letter to the uh, Biden administration um, about its concerns 
concern that China's rising use of uh, what's known as RISC-V, which is a chip design technology. Um, now, this chip design technology um, is open source, so it's essentially it's public information that anyone can use, but it competes with uh, costly proprietary technology from other um, uh, manufacturers like Intel, right? And what happens here is this technology can be used from anything from a smartphone to advanced processing uh, for artificial intelligence. So it has a lot of applications. So you're seeing um, bipartisan concern that um, this, in essence, is an end around for China uh, for the kind of pushback we're putting on them for their semiconductor uh, production and lock on the market, we'll say. So, you know, I think you're right to point out that, you know, while, while this is bipartisan, there is a lot of members of Congress who really don't aren't aware of this. So I think this is a building block to your point where more um, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are going to gravitate towards this and push back. I, w I would also note that um, this effort, I think, is led by the chairman and ranking member, the lead Republican and the lead Democrat of this uh, select committee on China. So, you know, I think this is going to grab attention in the coming days and weeks and um, may get some legs to it. Yeah, a lot of implications here, though, always encouraging as well to see bipartisan efforts. I do want to stick with technology a bit. Now, in recent days, we've seen the Biden administration, President Biden, sign an executive order. This aimed at cutting risks associated with AI, artificial intelligence. And there's, of course, been a lot of buzz surrounding AI throughout the course of 2023. So, this has drawn a lot of attention. What exactly does this order call for, Shane? That's right. Uh, this week, the Biden administration issued a long-anticipated executive order on the development of artificial intelligence. And, you know, this reflects AI's potential to fundamentally impact all our lives. Um, so it has to cover a wide range of issues, you know, everything from safety and security to U.S. competitive data privacy, consumer protection, et cetera. So it it's really tries to be encompassing. Um, it ha this executive order has many directives for federal agencies to make uh, assessments and issue reports, while it also directs them to use existing uh, powers to set standards. There are real limits to this approach outside of areas where there is uh, significant direct federal authority. You know, I think on the back side, you have the administration pushing for this because Congress is really a little bit slow to act here. Um, the reality is that while Congress is interested in pursuing it, there's a lot of um, education that still needs to go on. Um, you know, lawmakers are attending forums to try and understand the breadth of the impact of AI. So it's really important for uh, administration to act here because in some ways they can be more nimble to start dealing with this while Congress, you know, wraps its arms around um, the, 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 the gravity of the entire issue and tries to formulate legislation to, um, you know, 
appropriately rein in. Well, it is interesting to see how the administration is taking action here, and we will definitely keep our eyes on this and see how it evolves over time. Though, Shane, thank you very much for dropping by the podcast this week. Do appreciate the insights you've shared with our listeners and do look forward to our conversation next week with Election Day on Tuesday. Uh, will be interesting to hear some takeaways, so we'll, of course, cover that. Though, in the meantime, I wish you a nice weekend ahead, Shane. Thanks again. Thank you, Dan. Have a great weekend. I look forward to catching up with you next time. Sounds good. Thank you, Shane. Again, today we have been joined by Shane Lieberman, Federal Affairs Manager with the UBS-US Office of Public Policy in Washington, D.C. I do want to remind our listeners and clients of UBS, you can now locate the latest Washington Weekly publication on the website UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. Again, that's UBS.com slash Washington Weekly. From UBS Studios, I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients, UBS Financial Services, Inc. offers investment advisory services in its capacity as an SEC-registered investment advisor and brokerage services in its capacity as an SEC-registered broker-dealer. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways, and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. It is important that you understand the ways in which we conduct business and that you carefully read the agreement and disclosures that we provide to you about the products or services we offer. For more information, please review Client Relationship Summary provided at UBS.com forward slash Relationship Summary or ask your UBS Financial Advisor for a copy. 